Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and I'm actually joined by my little daughter (laughs) Evie to celebrate the 100th episode of the Logo Geek podcast. (laughs) I can't believe that I recorded and edited over 100 (laughs) episodes but we are here Uh, So before getting into anything, I want to say a huge thank you to you and everyone who's listened to and supported this show over the past three years. It's been a lot of work to do this, uh, but what a journey it's been. And you'll be happy to know that I have absolutely no plans of stopping this show. As we've hit a landmark episode, this time we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Uh, I realized I've never properly told my story on this podcast. So this time, rather than me interviewing someone, I'm going to be changing roles and I'm going to be interviewed instead. Uh, Some of you might remember Mark DeCote, who was on the show recently. He noticed that I was nearing 100 episodes and he suggested the idea of me being interviewed for the podcast and as Mark someone who's supported me from the very beginning of my podcasting journey he felt like the perfect person to interview me. So in this episode we'll be sharing my story, how I started out as a designer, uh, how Logo Geek came into existence, how it grew to what it become what it is today and what's next. So let's get into this. To celebrate the 100th episode, here is Mark DeCote interviewing me to share how I became Logo Geek. We can go, yay! Well, Ian, I know this is a little bit of turning the tables on you, and I would like to welcome you to the Logo Geek podcast. Thank you, Mark. Uh, this is going to be a little bit weird being interviewed for my own show, but um, thank you so much for originally coming up with the idea. I, I think it's a perfect way to celebrate 100 episodes. <laughs> yeah. And what a milestone that is. Let me be the first one to congratulate you on 100 episodes. I don't know if your listeners realize this, but the majority of podcasts out there, or I don't know if it's actually the majority, but a huge number of podcasts out there never make it past episode 10. They actually say that the average uh, lifespan of a podcast is between 7 and 13 episodes. So the fact that you've made it to 100 episodes is quite the feat, Ian. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of work over the years and I can totally understand why most podcasters just do a few episodes because it really is an extortionate amount of work. But um I just got into the routine of it now and uh, I really enjoy doing it. I get a lot from doing them. So like you as a podcaster, um, it just becomes part of your weekly routine. So I don't see any uh, uh, end in sight of uh, doing this podcast or even other podcasts in the future. I I really enjoy the platform. Well, I'm very happy to hear that. And I'm sure your listeners, Ian, are very happy to hear that as well. Uh, I want to start off. I know we're going to get into the whole logo geek and all that, but I want to go back a little bit further and find out who Ian is. So when you were a young child, were you a creative person? Okay. So when I was quite young, I, I 
always, always did drawing, model making. I was the type of kid that enjoyed watching things like Blue Peter and uh, Art Attack and stuff like that and actually making the things from it. And any uh, competition that would come on the TV, I would enter it. And uh, I actually had my stuff on TV a couple of times. Nice. And, uh, you know, in school, they used to do, um, at, at our school anyway, they did pantomimes. And they would do like these competitions to design the tickets for the uh, pantomimes. And quite frequently, I, I uh, won those. You know, it, it was something that I really, really enjoyed doing, uh, drawing. And uh, I always hoped that one day I'd be able to use those skills uh, as a job. And uh, luckily, I've, I eventually got there. <laughs> so at what point in your, your young life, did you realize that your artistic talents could be used as a job? Um, I remember in secondary school, so around the age of like 15, 16, uh, the teachers, they would start to suggest, have you ever considered working in graphic design or have you ever considered doing this? And, uh, I know that it was something that I could potentially have done, but it wasn't a direction I thought I could actually go. And the the reason for that is, um, and I, I don't know how much you know about my my family or and the, and the audience, but I'm the youngest of quite a big family. So on my dad's side, my dad had four children, my mum had four children. They, they met later in life. They had my sister and then me. So I am the youngest of 10 uh, children. I have brothers. I have a brother that has a daughter that's older than me. That's how much the, the age difference is. And my dad's generation was the type of generation where they just got on with it. They just worked. And university wasn't really an option for them. And um, it was always something that was seen as a high expense none of my other brothers and sisters went to university and I just never saw it as an option so even though early on I acknowledged that it would have been something that I would have liked to have potentially have done I I actually didn't think I I would ever be doing that I I thought maybe I would be working in um, a supermarket or I don't I didn't really know what I was doing so even though people suggested going into art design or anything like that I genuinely didn't think I would ever make it (laughs) (laughs) so so the whole design career was something you actually stumbled upon a little bit later then yeah I I felt like I got lucky to be honest um so how I actually got into it so I went to school I went to college um and College, what you can do is up to the age of 18 in the UK and you can uh, go on to further education and that's what I call uh, university. And that's the type of thing that you need to pay for yourself. So um, I did all of the the free education that that you could in the UK and my very first job after college was kind of related. So I ended up finding a job that was... um, as a print finisher 
So it wasn't doing the graphic design. It was doing the stuff after the graphic design. So th this company was a really small uh, print-based company. So what they would do is they were famous for doing exhibition work. So uh, three by three, four by four pop-up systems. That mm -hmm. is, is what they used to call them. So what my job was as an assistant to uh, this one other guy, we would take the rolls of print and material running through these encapsulation machines, uh, cut it all out and and get it all set up so that they could be used as like these roll-up pop-up systems. So um, if you can imagine, there was like this uh, framework that these panels would hook onto. You, you tend to see them at exhibitions yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, so that was like my first introduction to graphic design like I'd, I'd never actually met a graphic designer mm -hmm. uh, prior to that but there was two guys they worked in this little room <laughs> they would do a little bit of graphic design work and they would press print and then we would take that but how I actually got at a graphic design job eventually uh, was a little bit of luck to be honest <laughs> I that job uh, and I got that when I was 18. So it was one of the first jobs, well, the first job that I ever got. Uh, I used to ride a moped uh, because it was quite far from where I lived. Uh, that time I, I lived with my uh, parents and um, I had an accident <laughs> on that little bike. And um, I basically couldn't get to that uh, company anymore. Like I, I, I well, I, I managed to for a while. Some One of the guys would come and pick me up and, and take me there. And I could have got another bike, but I I just felt uncomfortable riding on a, a moped again after having an accident on it. So I quit that job and I got the first job that I could. And it was just to keep me going. And th this was uh, actually a warehouse job. Mm -hmm. And it just happened to be where my best mate worked. <laughs> and this company was just down the road from where I lived. So I could walk there in uh, like 20 minutes. So it was an ideal temporary solution. Uh, I never really thought anything of it. I just thought, you know, this is just a job just to keep me going. And um, uh, because I had the other job still... <laughs> I ended up having my interview later in the day. So it was around 6 p.m., which is quite late for an interview. So the warehouse manager who would typically have interviewed me wasn't there. I got interviewed by um, his manager. And I recall saying to her that I would one day like to work in graphic design or something creative but this is a nice way for me to be able to build up team building skills. I remember saying something like that. And even though I didn't think much of it at the time, and I didn't really see myself as a confident person, she did write down on this piece of paper, uh, confident. And she acknowledged that I was interested in uh, graphic design. And um, I got that job. And I actually surprisingly enjoyed working in a warehouse. I didn't think I would. <laughs> but long story short, uh, what happened in this job, I quickly got promoted to a team leader. I got my forklift truck license. I was, I was progressing really quickly in this job. And one day the, uh, the CEO of the company came down and he walked up to me and said, Ian, you're quite good at drawing, aren't you? And I'm like, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he went, okay, 
and then just walked on. I had no idea what this meant. <laughs> it was um, it was a very unusual um, situation, but I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, I can't remember if it was the same day or if it was a few days afterwards. But uh, one of the ladies came down from the office and she said, "Ian, can I have a word with you?" And she basically offered me a three week or a three month. I think it might have been three weeks. A three-week trial position in the office team within uh, a department that was called product support and education. And what that team did, um, it was a lot of admin stuff, so booking hotels for the sales team. But there was a small part of that job, and it was the reason why they was interested in in me. A small part of that was doing posters. So this was a, a medical company. What these uh, what that team would do is help the sales team sell the product. <laughs> so they was the team also responsible for doing all of the marketing literature and working in the warehouse. I used to look at that literature because it was part of the stock checks. And I used to always wonder, how do they do those really like smooth lines on those illustrations? I used to really look at it and and ask questions. So I, I ended up getting that job. I was very nervous and quite quiet and I, I wasn't very good on the phone. But what I was good at was making the leaflets. <laughs> so the first ones I did, uh, I'd never touched a Mac before. I didn't know any of the software, but I, I found Quark Express relatively self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found Illustrator relatively self-explanatory again, but what I was able to do was go home and um, there was no YouTube then, but I was able to find uh, Linda Learning CDs and and watch through those. And um, I was in this incredible position where I was really fascinated by graphic design. I would go to work, (laughs) get stuck with something, go home, find out how to do it, go in the next day, do it and and gradually I'd um, start building up a, a body of work and in that job something I didn't realize um, what that team would do is they would design the literature but but only plan it <laughs> they would plan it and then outsource it to a freelance designer I didn't know that so when I got my first project which was literally a double-sided A4 leaflet I was able to do that all myself with a little bit of help, you know, by asking questions and so on. And that was the first piece of literature that they ever done completely in-house without needing to use an external um, source. So um, I was in this great position where they saw uh, potential for cost savings, I think. They didn't say that to me directly, but, you know, looking back now, that was obviously the obvious thing. So I was on minimum wage. And um, they, what they did is they had a partnership with a local print company. And so that I could learn, <laughs> I, I got accepted to be in that job full time. And then they arranged these uh, six afternoon sessions with the print company. And I would just write down questions after question. And uh, every session I'd go there and I'd, I'd find out as much as I could. And um, that's basically how my graphic design career started. I was learning on the job. And thankfully, I got better. And because they could see potential, they started to invest in that team. So we got photography equipment, lighting equipment, 
training on grid systems and we eventually uh that team what started off as like 10 percent graphic design it evolved very quickly they ended up getting another graphic designer and uh we became like the in-house graphic design team for the company and um yeah it was a great opportunity and that's that's how i eventually became a, a graphic designer right place right time but also um it was something that i really wanted to do yeah a little bit of luck i love hearing these stories of how people especially designers get into the field there's so many fascinating stories like the one you just shared how as you said it's just luck or uh, being yeah. at the right place <laughs> at the right time and um it, it's like a happy accident that happened that led to where you are now so that's incredible and how how long were you doing that with that company uh, that company, I was in that position for about five years. Five years. And, um, you know, from starting, like I said, that team, it was 10% graphic design. By the end of that time, we had our own separate uh, little building. Uh, we had, uh, there was four of us in the end, uh, all working on uh, all of the marketing material for the company. Uh, we had our own little uh, photography studio in there. We had all all our equipment in there so that was a five years of intensive learning and um you know I, I went from knowing nothing about graphic design to uh learning how to create brochures marketing material i did a lot of really good illustration and i absolutely loved uh all of the illustration work but i i got to a point I, about the five year mark where I was redesigning my own work again. Mm. And yeah. um, I felt I reached a ceiling in terms of uh, that position. And uh, I started to look for other potential opportunities. And uh, that's when I ended up uh, relocating and I found a position within a, a web design agency uh, where I could work on lots of different companies. And, and that for me was uh, such an exciting thing um, uh, that that was moving into uh, web design work. So that first job was mostly print based stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a big uh, transition going from one to the other. But um, that's that's how that kind of all happened. <laughs> so before moving into the web design, did you have any web experience? Nothing at all. So how was that? How did that transition go? then because i know there's a lot of designers out there especially people listening right now who may be print designers and are wondering about web and that so how did you go about transitioning from your print design background i know a lot of the fundamentals and stuff of design apply but it's a completely different medium so how did you go about making that transition um so i i was looking for a new job and um I came across this company that was looking for a graphic designer. And even though I had no uh, web design skills, when I met with them, so I, I met with the uh, owner of the company and the director of the company, and I, I met up with them and I went through my portfolio and um, I, I think they could see potential. So I could show you what I what I had done and how I progressed and where I started and where I am now, and they just felt that I would be a good fit. So they they already had 
um, somebody within the company that was a uh, graphic designer already. So I was in this position where I could learn from them. Uh, but honestly, that first day, that was hard <laughs> because I had been used to working on uh, brochures. And uh, what I would need to do is design like the homepage. And and I know we got all these tools out there now, like um, uh, Figma and um, Adobe XP, uh, XD, sorry. There, there's loads of uh, these different tools out there now. But I was able just to, to to, to create everything in in Photoshop. So I already had Photoshop skills. It was just a case of designing uh, actual uh, websites. And the, the first thing I did, <laughs> be honest, uh, looking back now, I mean, I, I probably still got that file somewhere. It was horrible what I did, <laughs> but it was better than what they were doing. And that was the main thing that they saw. Okay, you can do that. We can, we can tr- train you and teach you and and point you in the, in the right direction. And, and what I ended up doing was uh, finding sites that were very good and recreating them and figuring out why, why are they like this? And again, you know, I'd, I'd been used to learning on the job and it was just a continuation of that. And um, yeah, what started off not very good within a few weeks, I was doing proper pixel perfect uh website design stuff and uh uh in i was in that job for 10 years i i en- ended up becoming a director of the company as well but yeah I, I learned a lot by just observing reading blogs and stuff online and um making mistakes <laughs> every time you design something and you find out that it's not working you can figure out why and then you will never do that again and I think that's one of the most important things to learn when you're designing anything is is when you do it wrong, you know, don't do that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, you learn from it. Every great designer out there has experienced that. You make a mistake and that, that's how you learn. That's how you become a better designer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this is twice now, Ian, where your career, it, it was, I, I don't want to say you were lucky, but it, that that in essence is what it was. You Your mm-hmm. first one... Uh, it was just that you had drawing skills, illustration skills and that. So they uh, they promoted you and you end up being in the design and that's where you got your love for design and that. And then mm-hmm. here, you went to a web design agency with no web experience and they hired you. And today, in this day and age, in 2020, somebody with no web design experience, doesn't matter how good an artist they are, there's little chance they will get hired at a web agency. So you were very fortunate in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned how you were designing the websites in Photoshop. And, and actually, that's how I started off doing my websites is the same thing, doing them in, in Photoshop. At what point did you tradition to just designing what the website looks like to actually building the website? Okay, I, I never built the websites. Okay. Uh, the uh, way that that particular company worked is that I I did the design work and uh, I worked with uh, one other guy and I I managed him and what we would do is we would work directly with account managers and the account managers would basically uh, then pass over the artwork to a development team so doing that meant that I could focus my skill set on primarily graphic design usability the experience and so on rather than ever having to learn code it's it's never really been something that's 
uh, interested me and uh, I, well when you are a graphic designer you, you for the web you have to have some basic understanding of how things will be built but you don't uh, really need to know code and there's a lot of tools out there now that are basically web versions of Photoshop the uh, tools and so on have, have changed considerably since I started working in web design yeah yeah, well, that's very interesting. That's something I didn't know. I knew you worked at the web design agency. I didn't realize that that was the part, the role you had. So that's uh, see, even I'm learning stuff on it to, about you here today. <laughs> so during that time, now we know this is the same job that you just recently left to go full time with Logo mm -hmm. Geek, but Logo Geek kind of emerged during that whole process because. Looking back, you started Logo Geek. I, I looked up through your Twitter history. You started uh, your Twitter account, which is how I originally uh, discovered you. And that was started back in 2012. Mm -hmm. So what was the concept behind somebody who spends all your day doing websites and web design to all of a sudden starting this journey for logo design? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Ever since I've, um, so from from quite a young age, so as, as soon as I started out as a graphic designer, I was always trying to develop my skills further at home. So I mentioned that in my very first job, I would go to work, I'd, I'd get stuck on something and I'd go home and try and figure out how I could do that. And that was something that kind of stuck with me, uh, that anything that I did at home was a way to stretch my capabilities and to try working on things that I wouldn't necessarily get asked to work on, uh, but would be a way to learn and develop. So uh, really early on, I used to do uh, like CD cover artwork and um, uh, some really bad logos for MySpace bands. <laughs> and I used to do some of that for free. Um, I've done film posters. Um, but in, in terms of side projects and uh, things at home, I started to work on some really significant uh, uh, projects. So uh, being really into film and animation and all that sort of stuff, I looked around for clubs that I could potentially go to and um, first of all I went to this um, uh, one day workshop for making films and at the end of the session the, the guy actually said oh, if anyone is ever interested in doing any voluntary work with the organization uh, chat with me afterwards and um, and I'll uh, uh, sort something out so that's what I ended up doing I, I volunteered to help out and I got involved with this thing called Media Circus and it was working with uh, children of different age groups so there was a, a younger group and then there was a slightly older group and basically what we would do is or what they would do <laughs> is make films games all that sort of stuff so uh, the council funded it they had this room full of brand new IMAX and it was run by two animators and I became really good friends with these animators. Uh, we, we all had loads in common. So we all liked Star Wars. We all liked uh, games and movies and stuff. So we used to get on really well. But um, I was interested in what they were doing. They were animators. And then they started making iPhone apps and iPhone games. And they, this was when like the iPhone came out. So it was all new and exciting. And um, 
I would show them some of the stuff that I was working on at home. So this would, would be uh, like illustrations for books, like um, uh, characters and stuff like that. And I, I'd show them some of the stuff that I was doing. And I, I noticed that they started to get into um, creating these apps and games. And I wanted to help. I, I wanted in on this. I, I, I wanted to be involved. So I just said, is there any way that I can maybe help with something? So there was a project that they were working on and they pulled me in to help with, um, I can't remember where I started originally, whether it was some uh, of the menus or if it was backgrounds, but I did a few basic things early on. Uh, one of them was like this nice parallax uh, background for this Squid Kid game. And that that was really fun. Um, and I did a few menus and a few logos and stuff for them, uh, for the games. Uh, but after working on one of the projects, they actually said to me, Ian, we really enjoyed working with you on this project. If you've ever got an idea for an app or a game, come and speak to us. So, you know, <laughs> what would you do? I came up with this idea for a game and I pitched it to them. I created this whole proposal thing and they agreed to build it. So I did all the illustrations for it. Um, I did all the animation sprites. I did loads and loads and loads of work for this project. And um uh, the early prototypes actually got saw by Chilingo and they was interested in it. And that meant that we needed to redesign it all. Um, but that was a, a project that we all worked on for free. Like none of us got paid. Um, and we we was working on that on and off for about four years. Wow. <laughs> so I would be going to work. I'd be coming home. I'd be working on this project in some capacity. And after working on a big project like that, it's exhausting, especially when you've got a demanding job. Uh, so like I said, in my in that graphic design job, I, I eventually became um, a director. I had a team and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it was just feeling like a stretch. Um, so at the end of that project, even though I loved it and and I still look back at the, the work that I did there and I, I still think it's some of the best design work that I've ever done. Uh, but I just didn't want any more side projects. Um, but what happened and how I got into to logo design is um, I, I was speaking to my my partner about it at the time. And uh, she said to me, Ian, you're, you're really good at logo design. Why don't you maybe consider that? And I actually thought, yeah, a logo project would be good. It's quite a small project. Rather than doing a four-year-long massive game, <laughs> this is the type of thing that you could take on, you could work on for a couple of weeks, and then it's done. And if you want to do another one, then you can just have a break, or you can do one immediately afterwards. And it seemed um, right, and it was something that I was interested in. We did the occasional logo in that web design job, um, but it wasn't enough to kind of really get stuck in. So... I, it was something that I started to offer to uh, friends and, and family. Um, it wasn't ever intended to be what it's become. This was just as a fun hobby. So some of those early things, I did them for free or I did them for like £25 or something like that. Some of the really early ones, I uh, didn't make a, a lot of money from them, but it, it kind of all... Uh, blossom from them really <laughs> so so at what point did it go from let's call it a hobby or just doing a logo here there mm -hmm. to something that became more you you became more passionate about because obviously now i mean you're known as logo geek yeah but yeah. at that point what was it that caused you to go from oh i'll do you know do a logo every once in a while to 
you are the logo person. Yeah, okay. So this has been something that's not happened overnight. Obviously. It's been a very gradual thing. Um, but that was the, the beginning of quite a journey. So what I did at that time, um, because I worked for a web design agency, uh, we uh, uh, within that team, there was some SEO guys and um, I need to write the occasional blog at that company. So I, I learned a little bit about SEO and and about websites and stuff like that. So I wanted to build a website. I wanted logo in there and um, uh, going through lots of different domains, I eventually came across logogeek.co.uk, which was available. I built a very basic sloppy website. I just threw it together. I only intended for me. I'd put the occasional project on there as I did it and I'd start to write about design in some way and like I said that was just for me and what I would be doing is I do the occasional project for a friend or family and I put it on there and what started to happen um, because I was writing about it and kind of sharing it on social media I had an old school friend get in touch and I did that for like a hundred pounds and then I had an old work colleague get in touch and I did that for um, a small amount of money as well and then one day I can't remember exactly when but I actually had an inquiry through my website like a real inquiry (laughs) from a real person I didn't know and that was uh, a big moment because it made me realize oh I can actually like make some money from this you know I can actually make some pocket money like I could take this project on make a little bit money from it and and maybe it can become something. And uh, what I started to do it, within my full-time job, I always used to, used to say to them, we have to do more online, uh, like social media advertising and stuff like that. I used to pester them all the time because I could see that it was working for me and it was something that I was interested in. Um, I've not always just been interested in graphic design. I've always been interested in marketing as well. So um, they actually hired somebody who was going to work in their SEO team, but they hired them to do um, uh, social media advertising. And they put them under me I, so that I could manage them because th- they know that it was something that I was interested in, something that I was pushing. So there was some interesting stuff that she was doing as like growth hack techniques for growth on social media. And at that time, Twitter was kind of new. I didn't really get it. I, I never posted on there, never had an account at that time. But um, she was doing these like follow, unfollow, posting, hacky, growth hacky stuff um, that sadly doesn't work here today. But I thought I'm going to try some of that with what I'm doing with my logo geek stuff. So at that time, I had a Facebook page and I was posting design stuff on Facebook, but it wasn't really having any traction. Like it just, it just felt like I was um, uh, blowing stuff into the wind. Like anyone that did like it was just other graphic designers. Uh, but I thought I would try this on Twitter. And that was actually one of the things that really sparked um, a lot of growth because what happened is I started doing what I was doing on Facebook, on Twitter, but rather than having like two followers a month, I was getting like um, early on, like 50 followers a day. It was a, it was a huge uh, growth using some of these growth hack systems that, um, uh, that that person introduced me to. And 
Uh, what that did is when I got to about the 8,000 mark, I started to get invited to be on design juries. <laughs> um, so I got invited to be involved in something called Transform Awards. And I also got involved uh, in Logo Lounge. And even though I hadn't done many logos myself, that early involvement with Transform Awards in particular, they brought me on as uh, a judge and they kind of put me on as like a um so they put me on as a partner but what they did on the bottom of every single page of their entire website they had my logo with a link to it and what that caused because it was linking back to my website if you know anything about seo and online marketing backlinks make a big difference to uh your website but what this caused was a for a split moment for maybe an hour or maybe a day, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but I saw a spike in website traffic. And what came with a spike in website traffic was a spike in inquiries. So I went from having the occasional thing to suddenly like all these inquiries came in one day. And, um, you know, that that was mind blowing. So I, I took on a few more projects then. But what it's shown to me was oh my God, <laughs> I have the potential and knowledge to actually rank my website on Google for keywords such as logo design. I could see how I could get there. I knew from the, the stuff that I was learning in my full-time job, how I could do that. I knew people that I could ask questions. And um, it, it was just a domino effect. Like my, my uh, Twitter was growing and with Twitter, what I was doing was posting content I was finding. And I started to feel a sense of commitment for my growing audience. So I would continue to search for the best resources. I would read them. I would post them. And that got me into buying design logo design books because I wanted to learn more about this. I was interested in it anyway. But this sharing of information became... Um, like a passion. I, I wanted to know as much as I could. So every logo design book that I could find, I would buy it, I would read it. Um, I would share that information in some way. And it just, you know, you can see it just domino affected from there. So what eventually happened over a, a period of time was my website was started to rank well on Google. Um, I started to get known as Logo Geek through Twitter. And I started to get involved in more and more things. So I started to get invited to be on other uh, juries. I started to get inv invited to write for um, websites, including like Created Block. I started to get inv invited on other podcasts. I started to uh, get all these opportunities. And uh, how I transitioned from one thing to the other, like I said, it was a gradual thing. Um, I was doing this full-time job that was quite demanding. I'd come home late and I'd have a list of emails, a list of messages on social. It was a bit much. I, I, I It was hard. <laughs> um, I was doing both and my long-term goal was always just to work for other companies. So to, to maybe go from that web design job that I found to, to actually going to work for a proper design agency, maybe in London, working my way up. So that was always my plan. Um, but what I started to see happen was um, 
I felt like I needed to choose one of these two things, either my full-time job or this logo geek thing that, that is growing. And uh, I felt really torn between the two. And I, I actually did decide, okay, I'm going to give up logo geek and focus on uh, my full-time job, but I couldn't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like this is something I put a lot of time and effort into and, I, I need to I need to choose something and uh, I went for a long time and a number of years just feeling uh, worn out and stretched between these two things and um, actually took quite drastic things to happen in my life to actually make me uh, make a choice and and uh, what happened is my my mum she um, she had vascular dementia and um, her memory started to go she ended up in a home and you you go and see her and there you'd spend time with people that are at the end of their lives and their memories are going and um and what eventually happened was my mum passed away which was somewhat of a relief at that at that time because she was um uh, not particularly well and um there was a number of other things like I, I remember Gary V. Uh, I, I was a big fan of his stuff. He would say, "You know, you're gonna die. You got one shot at this." Uh, there was a song in the charts that would uh, basically count down your life, and I'm thinking, "Damn, I I don't want to get to like 70, 80 year old and regret not doing something with this." And even though I was absolutely terrified to go and work for myself, what I decided not long after then was I'm going to go and hand in my notice and go full time. And uh, I was quite lucky, really, because they they offered me part time. Um, So I ended up agreeing with them that I'd work for that company for three days a week. And then the rest of the time, I could work on my own thing. And I'm glad that they offered me that because I I think I would have failed if I just went full time at that point. I don't think I was mentally um, ready for it, but it was a gradual enough transition. So um, I, I, I did that. That was about three or four years ago. And then I went about three years being part time. And I just got to this point where I started to make more money in the two days a week with my own stuff. And uh, because I started to do a lot of um, affiliate marketing, there were days when I was making more money at home whilst I was at work, which mm-hmm. I mean, not every day, but you know, I had the occasional time where it's, where I'd be making more money at home whilst I was sat in my day job. And it, it just got to a point where I felt like, I feel like I'm ready to take the leap. So as of March this year, I actually made that choice in January, but as of March this year, I am full-time logo geek. <laughs> good. Good. And we're we're glad you made that decision, Ian. Now, I would be remiss and I'm sure your your audience would would not appreciate if I did not ask the question on Logo Geek. You mentioned earlier that you did some searching for domain names and all that at the time mm-hmm. you were trying to come up with something. Now, the the term geek now in 2020 is a badge of honor. But if you go back not too long ago, geek was something that nobody really wanted to be known as a geek. <laughs> I mean, geeks were the people, you know, they sat at the awkward table. They were the the ones that were bullied and all that. 
So when you were looking for domain names and stuff like that, what made you think that Logo Geek was the perfect name? Well, I, I didn't think it was the perfect name. That That's the truth of it. Um, when I was looking for potential names, I wanted logo or logo design in the domain. And this was uh, when there was only, you know, the, the .com or the, the .co.uk. And I wrote down hundreds of potential names and nothing, absolutely nothing was available. Um, but it just happened that logogeek.co.uk was available. And I did question if that was the right name, but it did somehow feel right, bearing in mind that how I thought I could maybe get work was through Comic-Con. I, I am a geek. I am that person that sat on the awkward table. I am that person that got bullied. So I am a stereotypical geek. Um, you know, if if there was a real life Sheldon Cooper, <laughs> it would probably be me. And Logo Geek is the equivalent of fun with flags. You know, <laughs> um, so I, I am a geek. I I do go to Comic Con, and if say I was to maybe look for clients at Comic Con, Logo Geek would kind of work. But being totally transparent, I've questioned that for a long long time if it would be the right thing uh, but I think over time you know adding on things like the podcast adding on things like the community adding on other things it started to become more and more um, relevant and I've been really surprised because one of the real doubts that I've had with this is that I wouldn't be able to scale my business beyond a certain point because I've always had concerns that Logo Geek sounds like a cheap budget £50 service. But I'm currently working with, I'm on my second project now with the University of Cambridge. And they came to me. I, I didn't um, do any like fancy marketing. They just sent me an email. We had a conversation on the phone. I've got, I've got the project and I've just got a second project with them now that I'm set up as a uh, supplier. I never thought that would be possible. So um yes uh, it's it stuck and i've put a lot of time and money and effort into owning everything around logo geeks so i have all of the social profiles i have the .com i have the .co.uk you know i've gradually built all of that stuff onto it because for me it's i saw it as a, an investment and um now it's become my life and and how i'm making my income and how I'm able to support my family and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's that's how the name came about, and um, I'm going to stick with it now. Well, I I know that I'm not the only one that thinks that you know I couldn't imagine you or everything you've done under any other name, but logo <laughs> it is just so appropriate. A lot of people have said it seems perfect for me, and uh, yeah, it seems funny, but I think that's I think that's just through association and becoming logo geek rather than starting out as logo oh come geek. on just admit it Ian. you were ahead of your time <laughs> <laughs> maybe who knows so uh i want to obviously get to the podcast because i mean that's what we're doing right now we're on a podcast and uh, uh -huh. it, it's your 100th episode that we're celebrating yay and, uh, i want to ask you first of all uh, before I do that, I wanted to share a couple of things. I looked up, uh, you have a lot of reviews for your podcasts from all around the world. And I just want to share a couple of them here with your your 
audience. It says, here's one says, Ian is a great podcast host. He does solid research on his guests and asks the right questions to get the most out of them, which is admirable considering the diversity and uh, prowess of the guests. Another one here says, uh, this is a real life design podcast from a real life designer. What I love about Ian and Logo Geek is that he makes design and the pursuit of a career in design seem very human. What I mean is, Ian is in the same boat as many of us, especially myself, which in trying to find a way to make this career while navigating the uh, necessary struggles of just starting out. And he has a way of bringing the human nature out of his guests. Bravo, Ian. And finally, although still new, Logo Geek is already establishing itself as a great form to dive deep into the lives and stories of some of the best logo designers out there. Each episode is filled with inspirational stories and insights to help logo designers take their game to a higher level. Keep up the great work, Ian. And that one's signed by Mark Decote of Resourceful Designer. Um, when did you, Ian, discover or realize or, or acknowledge that you are, in fact, an influencer in the graphic design space? And you're, you're an interviewer of some of the top names in our field. I mean, names that designers that don't even follow people know of, like, you know, Chris Doe, Aaron Draplin, uh, Jacob Cass, Blair Enns, and so many others that you've interviewed, some great uh, innovators and designers. You've interviewed them. You've been guests on many shows. You mentioned earlier how you, you're an author. Uh, you write articles and all that. There's been articles written about mm-hmm. you. You've been a judge uh, on numerous different panels for logo and for design. So at what point did you realize that you are actually an influencer in the design space? Well, firstly, I want to say thank you for writing that review. And thank you to every single person that's ever wrote a review. Um, it's, uh, I'm very honored for all of those. And, um, you know, it makes all of the hard work worth it, you know, knowing that you're helping uh, someone out there with their career. As for being an influence, I find that a really weird word. <laughs> um, I I am aware that I um, have some influence in the industry and that people do listen. Um, but as for thinking more beyond that, <laughs> I find it weird. I, I find it very um, uh, strange to be at the position that I set out to be at, like the, the reality of, of becoming that person. Um, so, so one of my goals early on, you know, when I prior to starting Logo Geek was maybe becoming someone like David Airy or Jacob Cass. And I, I feel I have achieved that. Uh, but the reality is I'm still, uh, plodding away. I'm, I'm, I'm still, thinking about where I could possibly take this and I do feel that I am uh, I don't know how to say this but I am the same as the people that are listening to me I I don't think I could ever see myself as above or better than them I just happen to be in this unique position and to have built a platform where I can connect people like me with you know, the, the likes of like Emily Oberman or, uh, Aaron Draplin or anyone like that, you know, it's just a, it's, it's a platform where 
I can bring all of these stories around logo design together in one place. So, how, you know, in terms of realizing that I am an influencer, I, of course, acknowledge that, but I, I, I uh, beyond acknowledging it, it's, it's uh, you know, that Spider-Man saying with great power comes great responsibility. It's, it's more what do you uh, do with that? And I'm just carrying on, you know, I, I try to connect the right people so that they you know so that listeners can learn from the right people um you know I, I i take responsibility that i can set a good example so in the facebook group i uh try to stand for what's right and make sure that everyone's safe and protect them um so yeah it's just i, I i'm rambling a little bit but that's fine that's fine um it's it's hard to know what to say to that question. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's the perfect answer. The, the the best influencers out there are the people who never set out to be influencers, that it just grew upon them and they ended up there inadvertently just from what they've shared, what they've done. And that's exactly what you've done with all of Logo Geek. I mean, you, you look mm -hmm. at everything. You've got a Twitter account that has almost 100,000 followers on it. You've got a Facebook group that is approaching 10,000 members. Uh, it, it just everything that you do. I mean, you are, whether you, you like to admit it or not, you are an influencer. And the, the fact that you never set out to do this, um, you're just going about doing what you love doing is what makes you and, and what makes people want to follow you and want to listen to you and take your advice. So uh, congratulations on that and and all like the podcast the the website the business the twitter the so, uh, facebook all the social media the community and all of that it's all something you've built up organically and uh, you've done a really good job at it and uh, it makes you a a, a good and uh, an important name in the design space so congratulations for that ian thank you mark thank you mark I, that's really nice to hear and I think the rea the reality of it and why I try to be so transparent and open about uh, my story personally is that I genuinely feel that anyone uh, that has an, an ounce of talent has the capability of doing anything they want like you you can look at absolutely anyone within the design industry and what I've learned through doing this podcast is that actually you know Sagmeister uh, Draplin, um, uh, Mike Beirou, um, Emily Oberman, all of these big names, they all started in very similar situations. And when you look um, underneath the work, it's actually quite normal. It's quite relatable. Um, like I look at some of the stuff that I'm doing and it's I, I don't see it as that different as the, the, the likes of... Um, uh, Saggy Haviv and Tom Geismar and stuff like that is and and that that how I see that is that you listening even if you're just starting out if you work hard and you you set yourself to become that thing it's possible I I've I feel like I've um, demonstrated that myself like I, I sit down now I'm doing a, a logo for a London-based uh, university, and um, uh, it's it's phenomenal that I'm able to work on these projects that uh, I didn't think I would ever um, get, and I'm charging way more than 
I ever thought I would. And what I hope to do with the podcast is just share my story and other people's stories and make it real and make it relatable and help you, whoever is listening, achieve whatever you want. Because I genuinely think that if you just work towards it and you keep hacking at it every day and don't give up, then you can do whatever the hell you want. (laughs) So true. So true. So I I know uh, we're running a little bit longer than your typical episode, but this is your 100th episode, Ian. So we'll we'll go over. I'm sure your audience won't (laughs) complain. So getting to the podcast, at what point, because I I know, I mean, you and I have been talking for years and I know that you had uh, a little bit bit of a a problem. You were nervous. Um, you, You were socially anxious person. So I was a geek. You're a, you're a geek. Yeah, you're an introvert. You're a geek and all that. So what made somebody with your background and, and the way you felt and your insecurities and all that, what made somebody like you decide that you want to start a podcast and be out there in front of everybody? Okay, so going into the personal stuff again, I have suffered with anxiety issues most of my life. Um, I was always told it run in the family. My, my mom was a little bit like this and, um, I, I didn't think too much of it really growing up, but I, I do remember from a young age, uh, when I, I was a, an actor in a pantomime, you know, as a 10 year old, I developed stage fright and, uh, it would, what I'd start doing is swallowing and I would feel sick and want to be physically sick and that developed into a phobia um so going into school you know you'd have to do your public speaking i would be shaking all over the place i couldn't speak i felt sick i would be panicking for days i couldn't sleep um and yeah i uh, again didn't i kind of thought it was normal didn't really think too much of it just avoided those situations and then in going into work so that first job i had um i developed a stutter as well and then i also started to have this issue where within that company they would they would sometimes do these toasts to people. They would celebrate occasions and so on. I would have this issue where I'm like holding a glass of champagne and my hand would start shaking. And if I was to drink that glass, I would spill it everywhere. And I had stuttering issues. I had all, I just had a list of issues and I I started to think maybe this is all connected. And what I decided is I need to do something about this. (laughs) Um, and that was actually after uh, having a family meal where we had watery soup and I literally had a panic attack about eating soup and I shook the soup all over the place and they thought I had Alzheimer's but it was just um, it was just anxiety so I uh, contacted my doctor I went to see a therapist it was incredibly scary <laughs> Um, it was very daunting uh, being open about all these different things and uh, they aimed to understand them. I started to see a therapist. Uh, in the UK, we have something called talking therapies. And 
after my first session with this guy, he explained to me about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT and how the brain works and what's causing the issues. I thought I was going to be laid down on a bed and asked to talk about my mother and all sorts of um, uh, stuff. Um, but no, it was nothing like that. It was just understanding how uh, phobia works and the shaking issue. He gave me a very simple tip um, because he, he said, if you focus on any part of your body for a long period of time, it will start to feel strange. And that's true. Um, so what I was doing uh, with the shaking, all my my whole attention would be focused on that. So what he suggested is look at people around you in the room and focus on like their necklace to basically to distract myself. And I was amazed, even though I had a little bit of uh, shaking still, it basically solved that issue in one session with within like a half an hour conversation and. Uh, that's shown me right away. It's like, oh, okay, I can actually fix this issue. Um, I had a few other sessions in person with them, and then I had a few other sessions on the phone. Uh, but he did tell me that my stuttering issue and my um, issue with public speaking is too complex to um, cure within uh, a few sessions. And he said it's the type of thing that could take years. But he told me if I use the the principles and and everything that he told me, then I could solve it. But one of the challenging realities of that and, and one of the difficult things with CBT is that you actually need to face your fear. You actually need to work through that phobia. And so I have, I still have it now, to be honest, if I needed to do a public speech, uh, I, I still get a little bit nervous. But podcasting seemed like a good way of emulating this feeling so the moment I hit the record button and I saw the flashing light it would bring up all the feelings of dread I'd feel sick and I basically put myself in the in exactly the same situation I would feel in front of a large room of people it, it would emulate that same uh, feeling so what I did and these podcasts aren't available and I wish I still had them somewhere but what I did was a a short series of about uh, six episodes, I think it was. And I basically wrote out a script. Um, so I, I wrote a blog, basically. I hit record and then I read it out and I stuttered my way through it. And I, um, so with stuttering, I basically made myself say the word. I, I wasn't allowed to avoid it. And that was something that I had to do in, in the real world as well. Um, so that helped solve the stuttering issue. And just, you know, doing that, it, it did help. Um, it never really cured it, but it helped a little bit. And I think like a year went by. And then, like I said, my my mum passed away. And that was a point after my mum passed away, I decided I'm going to start saying yes to things rather than no to things. Um, so that's about the time when I started, uh, that I went uh, part-time around the same time that I started my uh, podcast community, all that, all that sort of stuff started around then. But I got invited to be a co-host on a podcast called Side Gig with uh, Preston, uh, who runs a company called Milo, and a guy called Ryan Robinson, who's now become quite uh, famous uh, for his uh, blog. So we, we did this uh, 10 episodes. 
I found out that he had a a sponsor. It was going to make a little bit of money. And we we recorded it. Um, I was so nervous. (laughs) And there was points where they actually stopped and said, Ian, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm having a, like, my heart's racing. I, I need to just take a breath. But but they they understood and they supported me and they allowed me to work through it. So that kind of I did ten episodes with them, but it was the it was the sponsorship that um, got me interested because I thought that's that's a nice little incentive. If I can get a sponsor to sponsor ten episodes on my own podcast, that would be good. I don't know if I could do it, but I thought you know that that would mean I'd be committed to doing this show. So uh, yeah, I was able to get a sponsor. And I booked in episodes and yeah, my first, my first guest, which actually became episode three was Aaron Draplin. I'd never interviewed anyone in my life. And the first interview was Aaron Draplin (laughs) and being honest, it was an absolute car crash of an interview. And the final thing, which you can all listen to is primarily a, a, a completely fabricated conversation uh, what I ended up having to do was, uh, because my side of the audio didn't get recorded properly, Aaron kindly recorded it on his end. Uh, so I cut out the good bits of what Aaron said and I patched it together by recording some things. But yeah, that's what you can do with audio. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ian, that's quite the story. And I know that a lot of people listening out there can relate to the anxieties, the nervousness, and all of that stuff. So, um, you know, I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing that with your audience, because uh, a lot of people could possibly get inspiration just for, from hearing that story. I hope so. I hope so. Because I think anxiety is something that can become very uh, dominating over your life, and you can really let it overtake everything that you do. And the, the reality that it's not something that's inherited which I thought it's something that you can work through and you can solve. Hear me now. I'm speaking comfortably and comfortably, uh, confidently on this podcast. Are my stutters cured? I feel quite confident now speaking. And that's come through a lot of work. It doesn't happen overnight. And each gradual change is so minute, you don't feel that you're changing and improving. It's only when you look back over a long period of time that you can see actually where I am now is a hell of a lot better than where I was two, three years ago. So if that's you, if you have anxiety issues, please go and speak to somebody. It's, it will change your life for sure. And, um, if, if you want to speak to anyone about it, you know, just send me a message. I'm more than happy to help and, and uh, give advice where I can. Yeah, thank you for putting that out there, Ian. And if anybody wants to see the transformation, I remember I, I was subscribed to Side Gig, and I remember listening to you there. <laughs> and uh, anybody wants to hear the difference between now and then, go back and listen to that first season of Side Gig. And uh, Ian, and that have you, Ian? Have you gone back and listened to that recently? I can't listen to it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't even want to know. I don't want people to know that it's there. Don't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, I I remember doing those um, uh, uh, sessions and because I was so nervous, what I would start to do is I'd be listening to the conversation and they both had these amazing American accents and I'd forget that I need to speak. 
And then I'm like, I've just got this feeling and like, I have to speak. I have to say something. I have to say something. I'd hear them say something. And then I'd be like, in my head, I'm going to say this. Five minutes will pass. And then I'll say something that's completely unrelated to what was just said. Like it doesn't quite connect with the rest of the conversation. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I was. And that's taken a lot of practice to uh listen and and respond to what they just said but go back to what i wanted to ask and uh <laughs> yeah i come a long way since then even like early episodes of the local geek podcast i don't recognize my voice i sound different it's weird <laughs> well it's just like designing practice makes perfect or no such yeah, thing absolutely. as perfect but practice makes a lot better and uh yeah yeah you what one thing that i've always done with the podcast with with graphic design is when i see i'm doing something wrong i will try to improve it and that could be one tiny thing but if you do that one tiny thing on every episode it makes a big difference so if you was to go back to early uh seasons of this i was using my microphone wrong um i didn't know how to like clean up the audio um there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know how to do but each with each episode I tried to improve it so you notice um and it took about 20 episodes to get the hang of it but episode one to episode 20 you will start to see the gradual improvement and now I I feel um I feel like I've kind of mastered the art of podcasting (laughs) well I don't know if we ever do I I I personally have 230 32 episodes out of my podcast and I still feel like I'm learning every single week and that I still have a lot to grow Mm -hmm. so uh, I I hope never to get to that point where I'm too comfortable and and uh, because then (laughs) then you don't grow you don't continue just like design yeah I've been a designer for 30 over 30 years and I still think I have so much to learn in the design space um Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I I think that's one of the most important things as a graphic designer is to see growth. And the moment that you stop seeing growth, there's something not quite right there. I I think you have to have this feeling deep in your gut that you're never good enough. And and that will push you to keep learning and keep developing and keep improving. And if you do that with every aspect of your life, um, you will be the best version that you can be you know always try to improve who you was yesterday than try to you know compare yourself with whoever's Mm -hmm. out there (laughs) so true Ian uh earlier I I read a couple of the reviews from your podcast uh some people saying how much they enjoy it and that it helped them has there been any email or voicemail or any communication with a from a listener that stands out to you something that you remember that somebody said how your podcast has helped them um there there was a an episode that we did around mental health and i think it was with uh, abby lemon we spoke about mental health and i had someone that i'd actually known for a while open up to me that they've also had CBT and that was nice to hear because I think um, therapy anxiety mental health is the type of thing that you suffer through on your own a lot of the time and I think speaking about on the on on the podcast as 
openly and as transparently as we did actually helped a lot of people out there. And it was nice to know that someone that I'd known for quite some time actually came up to me and opened up about it. And I think if there was a friend of mine who was able to open up, can you imagine the impact that that potentially had on people that I, I, I didn't know? And there have been a couple of other uh, messages uh, like that. But I think that that's one of the most important things that I've noticed that the real hardest struggles speaking about on, on the podcast is actually really, really important. But um, I've had a lot of messages, a lot of emails. Um, I've saved a lot of them in a folder. Um, uh, and uh, at some point, I'll probably have to get them uh, pinned up. But yeah, it's been an absolutely incredible journey to get to this point where something that I'm creating kind of for fun <laughs> is genuinely helping people uh, with personal issues, uh, helping them get a, a new job, helping them get clients, helping them become better designers. So it's 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 nice to be in that position to genuinely, genuinely help uh, people mm -hmm. uh, through a medium like yeah, this. For sure. Where do you see your podcast, Logo Geek, yourself five <laughs> years, 10 years from now? Okay, so something I'm planning to uh, release soon <laughs> is a magazine uh, called Logo Talk. And that will be primarily based on the podcast. Um, I'm also planning uh, to, at some point, I don't know when it would be, uh, but do a series of books. I like to do a series of courses to help other people do what I've done. Um, but basically to continue building uh, out Logo Geek for uh, both clients and designers. But I, I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. Like I'm... Um, I'm in this fortunate position where I can work from home. I can see my little one grow up. Uh, my partner doesn't need to work. She can she can raise our our child. Like we don't need um, to get childcare or anything like that. And I I, I kind of want to be where I am now. You know, I, I feel like I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to. And in, in five years' time, I'd, I'd like to continue to be working with bigger and better and more impactful projects uh, but also um, I plan to continue to do the podcast and like I said I, I just want to grow that and to create a platform that helps uh, more uh, designers and also becomes a, a self-sustaining thing so something that makes an income so that I can spend more time on it to help uh, more people um, but yeah I mean the, I've I've always had this somewhere out there goal and and I've I'm working hard towards it and I'm hoping that you know in terms of like my anxiety issues I'd I'd like to do more in-person presentations in-person workshops all that type of thing because that's still something that absolutely petrifies me but I want to work through that phobia so like I said when I'm 80 I can look back and think I did it rather than what mm -hmm. if so yeah I've, I'm I feel like I'm on the right pathway and I'm just going to keep building on what I've um, already 
belt. Yeah, it's beautiful. And finally, last question, Ian. If you were able to go back and talk to your younger self, what sort of message would you give yourself? Oh, my God. I would probably go back. Um, there, there's a couple of times that come to mind. So uh, when I was quite young, you know, 11, 12, the phobia issues with public speaking and so on. I, I wish I had some of the advice that I got from therapists early on. I wish I got that help earlier on because um, I, I think I I could have fast-tracked what I've been working through. Um, but in, in terms of going full-time, I went full-time this year and that's something that's been pending for a long time. I feel I could have made that leap a long time ago, but I was always... I guess too scared to make that leap. So I, I think I could have done that earlier on and um I, I, I should have had more confidence in myself. But I, I don't know. There's something about this year, it just felt like the right time to do it for um so many reasons. But I th I think I have the capability of doing uh that a, a bit earlier. Um but yeah, that's that's probably what I would say. <laughs> yeah, actually, you hear that from so many, myself included. When I when I went on my own in two thousand and five, um, same thing. I'd go back and I'd tell myself to do it sooner. And you hear that from so many people that are on their own. It's they wish they had done it sooner. Mm -hmm. So, uh, such mm -hmm. a great thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Ian, um, this was what I think is a great interview. I think your audience is really going to enjoy everything that you shared. A lot of stuff that uh, I learned, and I'm sure that they didn't know. And um, I want to thank you for being a guest on the Logo Geek podcast. Thank you, Mark. This was really great. It's it's uh, you know what I've I've actually tried hitting the record button and sharing some of my story in solo episodes, but when you just do it yourself, it's it's boring, but you've gone into a lot of stuff that I would never even have considered going into. And I think it's made a really interesting uh, conversation. But thank you, Mark, for helping to celebrate a landmark episode, 100 episodes. I think um, I, I never imagined that I would get to this point. Um, and um, I, I feel it's quite an achievement and worth celebrating. So thank you, Mark. And thank you, everybody that's that's listened to this. It's um, incredible to think that I've got to 100. And like I said, I've, I've got no plans of stopping. I'll probably take a little bit of a break after the 100th episode, being transparent, but um, planning to bring it back with new music. Um, I might redesign some stuff and uh, basically uh, relaunch it as a proper what i see as a proper podcast <laughs> <laughs> well, as part of your audience we look forward to it ian so that was episode 100 thank you so much to everyone who listened and more importantly thank you to mark the coats for being such an incredible host if you're not already aware mark is the host of the resourceful designer podcast so make sure to go and check that out and if you're not already a subscriber of his show make sure to subscribe and listen he shares lots of incredible advice for being a freelancer a designer working from home and so on so uh, listen to that it's one of my favorite shows so i do highly recommend it 
show notes for this episode, including uh, a few images of some of the things I mentioned throughout my story and a transcription of the conversation can be found by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 100. Hopefully you found my story useful or inspiring. And if after listening, you have any questions, just find me on social media. I'm always happy to answer questions and to provide help where I can. I'm usually on Twitter or in the Logo Geek Facebook group. So make sure you're part of that community. And not only have we hit 100 episodes, but we've also just hit 10,000 members in the Logo Geek community on Facebook. So it's been a really big week for Logo Geek. So thank you to everyone who's been part of that community to make it such an incredible place to hang out online. So this was episode 100. Uh, So far this year, I've actually released over 40 episodes so far. I do it all on my own and As you can imagine, it's a lot of work, especially on top of client work. So I'm going to have a little bit of a break, but I will be returning in a couple of weeks time. And I'll be making a few changes to the show in that time, including some unique new music and uh, maybe some other changes. So watch this space. And if you want to keep up to date with what I'm doing during that time, make sure that you're signed up to my newsletter. And to do that, head to boxset.logogeek.uk where you'll get access to a collection of six ebooks for free to help you through the logo design process. But by downloading that, you'll also sign up to be part of the Logo Geek newsletter where I'll keep you up to date with what's happening with Logo Geek, with the podcast and everything else around it. So thank you again for celebrating episode 100 with me. Thank you to those who have listened and uh, supported the show in any way over the years. Thank you to those who have kindly sent messages or wrote reviews too. Uh, Seriously, if, if you've done that, it's greatly appreciated and it keeps me motivated to continue creating this show. So until then, I will see you in a few weeks time for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast. (laughs) We can go, yay!